I'm Julie Hyde, and I believe you can't be a leader of others until you are a leader of self. It all starts with leading you. So if you are ready to be the best leader that you can be, you're in the right place. I'll be chatting to a diverse range of leaders who will spill the beans on their leadership, how they changed the game, insights into their mindset, and how they built the courage and resilience to be a modern leader with impact. Let's get into it. With me today, I have the amazing Megan Della Camina, known around the world for her brave and refreshing approach to women's leadership, empowerment, and well-being. Megan has, has forged a new path for women to own their power, embrace their sovereignty, and rise. She's a best-selling author and the founder and CEO of Women Rising, a women's leadership and empowerment company with a mission to support women in their career leadership journey and life. So her corporate leadership journey was grounded in two decades as an award-winning marketing director and multi-billion dollar strategist for corporate heavyweights, including IBM, GE and PwC. And during this time, she was a founding implementation leader with the Human Rights Commissioner in the Male Champions of Change, an initiative considered one of the most potent global change efforts for gender diversity. So welcome, Megan. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. I'm so happy to be here. We're going to have a great chat, I'm sure. Oh, we absolutely are. And there's so much that I'd love to talk to you about that we're going to be splitting this conversation into two parts. So um, there's a lot to get through. So I'm just going to jump straight into it. And as this podcast is called Leading You, I'm, I love asking this question of my guests, which is, if you were the leader of the world just for a day, what would be the three things that you would do? Uh, it's such a great question. Like, what a powerful question. And you had, you. I know that we haven't scripted the interview and it's all going to be very organic, but you did pose this question to me. And I'm glad you did because I had to really think about it. Like, it's a... A big question, right? So here's what I think. Number one, I would teach everybody in the world to meditate. So mandatory learning around meditation, uh, and we can get into that if you want to, as to why I think that's important. I would redistribute wealth with the goal of solving hunger and homelessness and restoring dignity to people. And the third one is, of course, I would magically put more women into leadership roles in every place where power resides in the world. Absolutely. And I would have been disappointed if you didn't say that one. (laughs) Yeah. The meditation one, do tell me about that. Yeah, probably not what you would have thought, right? But um, I've got a deep background in yoga and meditation. I'm a qualified teacher. And I do a lot of work in my work with my community around meditation and mindfulness. And I uh, certainly from my own experience of being a two decade long meditator and what I see with students, when we learn to sit, be with ourselves, be still and breathe, it really does change not only us, but our perspective on the world. 
And I think we have more kindness, more empathy, more clarity, more connection when we do that, when we do that practice. And it's very well, you know, backed up by science, but that's my experience. So, yes, I would love to see every single person in the world meditate, even if it's five minutes a day. I think it would change the energetics and the actions in the world profoundly. Yeah, I love that. And we certainly need a lot more kindness and love in the world today. So if that's going to bring it about, then bring on the meditation. (laughs) (laughs) So I am really keen to tap into your passion as to your passion for empowering women and where that came from. And no doubt your experiences you know, a female leader in a male-dominated industry fueled this. So could you start with sharing some of your amazing story with our listeners? Yeah, sure. Thank you for asking. It's really interesting. I, I ponder on this quite a lot because my background, the way I grew up, I was always surrounded by boys and by men. Um, you know, I was in my sort of teenage years, my formative years, I was always in a band, the band was full of boys, that was my social group. The school that I went to was a very small school and from year 8 to year 12 there were six girls and 22 boys and that was the makeup of our of my whole high school experience. So again, you know, this male domination And then I went into the workforce and everywhere that I went, there were men and very few women. And I thought this was just normal. I didn't grow up, you know, with any big feminist, you know, mantra or anything. I just thought this was the way that the world is. So when I hit GE and then PwC and was always one of the few women and senior women in a room, I just thought, well, this is the way it is. It wasn't until I hit IBM and, you know, with diversity and inclusion and gender diversity just so deeply part of the DNA of the culture that I started to look around and that I was 30 when I when I joined IBM through acquisition. I was with PwC Consulting. We got bought by IBM. And started to realize, oh, maybe this isn't the way it's meant to be. And then as I sort of hit my, you know, first big GM role and then moved through that, I was a single mother to a young child, hit my mid-30s and burnt out to the point that I literally walked into my CEO's office coming back from another trip to New York and just said, I'm done, I'm done. I can't do this for one more second and negotiated, you know, a break and then coming back into um, head of strategy role part-time, then all of the pieces started to fall into place of there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to be a woman at work. There's a better way for culture and for leadership to be more inclusive for women at work and all genders, all people. And then I got really deeply into gender diversity and women's leadership and, you know, a whole lot of other initiatives from that point, including positive leadership, well-being, did a second master's degree in wellness and positive psychology, and all of those pieces started to come together. So that's kind of the backstory. And then 
what are we now? We're nearly 20 years later, you know, 18 years later and 10 years of just specifically doing this work in my own business. Unbelievable. So it's really interesting because my background is quite similar in that when I grew up, I used to play sport against the boys. I used to hang out with the the boys in the street and ride bikes with them and stuff. So when I went into banking, a very male-dominated industry, so I didn't really think anything of it. And to be really honest, throughout my career, I never ever felt that men got a role over me because they were a male. It was just like, well, they must be better at something than I am. So I'm just going to do better and make sure that I get it next time or I get the next role. So I think our backgrounds sort of are really interesting. And it was only when I jumped out of corporate, that's when I realized I'm like, oh my God, my whole network is men within um, probably the four pillars of the organization that I worked in for a while. So it's when your eyes are open and when you're exposed to different things, that's when you go, what is going on? (laughs) And I can tell you right now, as you know very well, that there's still the men in the grey suits (laughs) um, sitting at the leadership tables in those large corporate organisations, which is something I know you're very, very passionate about changing. So was it just that realisation that led you to write something's got to change? Was it the burnout? Was it the culmination of everything that happened? Yeah, look, it was it was what I would call a long, slow burn. It wasn't, a, you know, wake up one morning and go, oh, we need to change the world of work and, in fact, the world to be more inclusive for women. It was the million tiny paper cuts and the big machete cuts, like the burnout. But, you know, being a workaholic, you know, the drive and strive culture of organisations, GE under Jack Welsh, Right. So, you know, you're either number one or you're number two or you're out, you're an A or a B or you're fired. That whole mentality, they were very formative years for me in my 20s, the second half of my 20s at GE. And I was a very young manager traveling the world. You know, I used to do three weeks out, one week back, three weeks in Asia and the US, one week back in Australia. And I think we just get so primed and conditioned with this is what success looks like. If you want to succeed and it's either blatant like it was at GE or it's much more subtle and it's the role models that we see and who gets promoted and who gets the pay rise and what an ideal worker looks like, what an ideal leader looks like. And certainly back then it was never a woman and it certainly was never a working mother. So I think all of those messages and conditioning pushed me literally to the brink, my own mindset, all of the things that I now work with thousands of women on, you know, confidence, people pleasing, lack of boundaries, lack of clarity, everything. So that plus the environment leads to disastrous situations for so many women. And, you know, I didn't realize that all of that was the reason, plus being a single parent, plus trying to do my first master's degree in this big executive role, got me to that point of at 36, just on the floor. And coming out of that and starting to lift my head up, because again, so many of us as women, we're just so busy doing all of the things and looking after all of the people. And I see this again with our women, we don't have time to look up 
and question and get curious and ask, what's my life vision? Am I well? Am I just on that treadmill? And that's what I did after my burnout. And it took a long time. Again, it wasn't, oh, okay, now I see and everything changes. I was another seven years in IBM as a part-time executive before I finally left. And that's where it was the pieces, learning, observing, getting really involved in gender diversity, more involved in gender diversity. I already was doing that second master's degree. But most importantly, I think doing my own inner inquiry, my own inner work, and then starting to work really closely with women, you know, coaching, listening, watching the workplace, just trying to make sense of it all for myself, doing more research, uh, writing my first book, which was getting real about having it all and starting to question what are we doing and how do we change it? And then that led, has led to the last 10 years and, you know, everything that's come since. Your point about women just don't have that opportunity to look up is so relevant and it's something that I hear from women so often. It's that they have a massive problem with putting themselves first at all. It's always that they're wanting to prioritize others, whether it be it's their role, it's their family, it's their children, it's never them. And they'll hear a message, but it doesn't necessarily trigger action straight away. And I think it's sad that so many high-performing women get to the stage of burnout for it to go, hang on, something's got to change. Like to get to that stage, you know, where you were just on the floor, like that pure exhaustion, that's terrible to hear that so many people go through that. We're actually seeing epidemic levels of burnout amongst women. We're seeing it in the global research and we have new research that we've done that also shows record levels of burnout and also a massive increase in stress that women are facing over the last 12 months. So the work that we need to do as women to put ourselves on the list, not even from the bottom of the list, so often we're not even on the list, and prioritise and stop feeling guilty for and give ourselves permission to take care of ourselves, to think about our life vision and what we want, to look at where there's meaning and purpose, to focus on our own well-being. So often we, and I did this for a long time, we wait for permission for someone else to say, oh, no, it's okay for you to have a break or it's okay for you to go for a run or do yoga or change your career or stop working and stay home we need to give that permission to ourselves so that we can live our lives in our power and not wait for someone else to say, here you go, have agency over your own life, which is how we've been conditioned. So there's a lot in there, but these are big themes that I see coming out in our community, which is thousands and thousands of women, and also in the research that we've just done. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you because it's like, there's that, that guilt and it's not even just the mum guilt that women experience. It just seems to be just purely guilt for actually doing something to serve ourselves because, you know, naturally most women are nurturers, I've found, and just want to keep giving, giving, giving to others. 
like it's such a complex issue, right? It's very nuanced and layered and it's the way that women are conditioned, the way that we're cultivated and socialised and in any intersexual element into that, you know, culture, race, age, and it compounds even further. And then you overlay the patriarchy and all of the norms and expectations and how the world works according to how it's been designed. And it's very easy to see, well, well, of course, there's all of these challenges, but we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the complexity of that. We just talk about, oh, well, go take care of yourself and set a boundary. Well, okay, but within which framework? Am I trying to do that for myself as a woman? And this is when we start to unpack it and we get into it. We talk about the heroine's journey and all of the challenges that we can face as women, then we can start to do our work. But otherwise, we're just dilettantes, you know, like trying to float along the surface and not understand the deep-seated, deep-rooted issues and what we're actually up against and what we need to overcome and unlearn to take that power back. Yeah, and there's a really, I really encourage people to have a look at Megan's website because it's such a powerful statement there on your homepage. It's just, it really hit me and I was like, yes, absolutely. So leading into that and I suppose it's a really good time, I think, to talk about your program because like you say, you need to unlearn all of this, which is so hard. So can you tell us about your Women's Rise program and how you get women together to do this work? Yes. Um, thank you for asking. So I'm founder and CEO of Women Rising and our signature program is called the Women Rising Program, which makes sense. Um, so this is a four-month journey. We take women on. We have thousands of women in every intake and we come together and go through sort of an eight-module journey over four months that really go into these challenges and issues you know we talk about the first thing that we talk about is life vision what is your life vision and for the vast majority of women they've never thought about it because of the reasons we just talked about so busy taking care of everyone doing all of the things so we look at life vision we look at our concept around radical confidence we're looking at career evolution career mastery personal branding mentors and sponsors we journey through authentic leadership, one of my favourites, where we unpack, like, what is the current leadership model? What does new leadership look like? We do a deep dive into Jacinda Ardern, actually, as one of the models of a new breed of leader. Uh, we're looking at feminine and masculine traits in ourselves, in the workplace, regardless of gender. And it's a really interesting lens to start considering who are we? How do we show up? What are the structures in which we show up? And how do we get to our authenticity? And then we go through well-being on all levels, you know, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. We look at influence and impact. You know, those core building blocks of executive presence, communicating with power, understanding um, how to deal with conflict and managing derailment factors. And then we look at building grit and resilience and how to lead change. So how to take that self-leadership journey beyond ourselves and into our families, our communities, our teams, our organisations and beyond that. 
So it's this really unique fusion of science and spirit and experience. And what I find is so profound is, yes, we get all we get amazing groups of women that come in, but the similarities of the challenges that women face, whether it's confidence or their career path or their well-being, and, you know, we've currently got women from 36 countries in our program, the similarities are much bigger than the differences, you know, even across culture across age, across stage, it's one of the things that surprised me the most that we have women who are 25, we've got women who are 55. And there's just, you know, we've got women from China and India with women from France and the US. The similarities that we all experience and face, I think would shock most people. And that's what the women, they, they say, oh, I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only one, but as you know, when you get in community with other women, you just look next to you and there's a woman, even if she looks very different from you, she's going to be struggling with something similar if nuanced, of course. So yes, that's what we do in the Women Rising program. We do it twice a year and it is the greatest gift of my professional life to do this work. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I love the stages that you take people through. And I can imagine that um, being part of that with these incredible women all over the world would just be so fulfilling for you and incredibly inspiring to keep going and doing this work because it's not easy work and it's not easy work for them either. So to have you as a role model to um, aspire to in terms of what you've done for you and now, you know, doing for others, I think is really powerful. And you mentioned about the community that I worked with. Now, I didn't do it internationally, but the people that I used to get within, you know, my networking group and also around my women's leadership table, the key thing, and you mentioned it before, that they all wanted more of was confidence. Just about every woman I speak to, they that's what they want more of. That's why they came to the group mentoring programs. That's what they wanted in terms of getting support from other women to give themselves more confidence to do what they needed to do, to step forward, to step up, to rise, to take back their power. It is consistent. It is pervasive. And what we also see is that, you know, a lot of women, when they come into our programming community, don't actually realise that confidence is the issue that is the sort of pinnacle issue of so many other things. And until we really start looking at it and unpacking it, they realise, oh, yes, the inner critic, yes, my narrative, and not so much the situation that's happening but my story about the situation that's happening um, and how that plays through in every single aspect of their lives, not just in their careers. Uh, It's very powerful work to do that. I just actually came off a call. We do a free community call every month and the topic this month was confidence. So I've just come off a call with, you know, hundreds of women, you know, I teach and then they have the opportunity to ask their coaching questions and you just see in the comments of the chat, oh, me too. I have that same issue. Thank you for asking that question. Thank you for those evidence-based tools that we teach to help them move through that. It's work for all of us. And as you say, it's not easy work to really do the work 
takes a lot of courage. It's much easier in many, uh, certainly on the surface, to just stay where we are, you know, without creating something better for ourselves. That's right. The whole process of looking in the mirror and going, where am I at right now? It can be really confronting. I'm going to leave it there for this chat today um, or this chat now. <laughs> That's the first part because in, our, in the second part of our chat, I really want to tap into your mindset because I think it's an incredibly powerful one from start to finish. I want to really tap into that and understand. And then because, you know, we're really doing this in line with International Women's Day, I really want to get an insight into what you think needs to change within organisations to achieve more inclusiveness, parity and gender equality. So everybody tune in next week for our next chat. So thanks, Megan. Thanks, Julie.